So now we uh, turn our attention to Psalm 107, uh, to consider the unfailing love and mercy of God. Uh, it, this passage uh, doesn't have a whole lot to do with church planting directly, uh, but, but I do think about it when I think of the church plant, because uh, I believe it's the unfailing love of God that motivates us and strengthens us to serve the Lord and to live sacrificially for him. Um, and church, this is our message. This is the message that the world needs, the unfailing love of God. We call people to cry out to him because he is this way. He is a God of mercy. So let's read Psalm 107. You follow along as I read I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of Yahweh, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. 
He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, our fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns the desert into pools of water and parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all the wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of Yahweh. This is God's word. So look at that last line. It's the key verse for the psalm. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of Yahweh. If you are to be a wise person, you must consider the steadfast love of Yahweh. His chesed, his covenant-making, covenant-keeping love, his compassion, his, his mercy. And you must consider it. You must meditate on his mercy, on his loving kindness, his eternal love, his gospel love. You'll have to reflect on it if you are to be wise. Uh, the text says, the, the psalmist says, let him attend to these things. The idea of attending to something, that's, that's the language used to describe a guard that would, that would stand guard over something or, or someone or, or over a city. He watches for danger. He, he knows that if he, if he misses the danger, if he misses the intruder or the approaching, approaching army, it's a matter of life and death. And so he's always looking. He's searching the horizon. He's, he's squinting and straining to see if you are wise, you will squint and strain and search for Yahweh's covenant love. You will search to find, to identify his love, and you will meditate on his love. And if you miss it, if you're not squinting and straining to see it, then you are in danger. We're in a dangerous place and we're not looking for his loving kindness. And so the psalmist helps us in this matter. This morning, as we look at the psalm, we'll see two aids in considering the steadfast love and mercy of Yahweh. That you might be wise, that you might give thanks to him. Okay, two aids in considering the steadfast love and mercy of Yahweh. If you don't consider his love, like I said, you're in danger. You, you won't be able to love him, in fact. Listen to, this, listen to what the Puritan Walter Marshall said. He said, you simply cannot love God unless you know and understand how much he loves you. Just look to your own experience in this matter. Can you think of any time you had true love for God without first having had an enormous sense of God's love towards you? When you love him, it is because you see that he has been so good to you. We struggle to think rightly about God. I think we have a hard time believing that he is inherently merciful, 
that he's bent towards showing mercy. One Bible teacher says this. He says, For many of us, the God of our unredeemed imagination has a small and shriveled heart. If we ask this God to show us his glory, he might pass by and say, The Lord, the Lord, a God stingy and tight-fisted, quick to anger and abounding in steadfast vengeance. If this God forgives at all, he does so as a sovereign scrooge, ever dangling our debts over our heads. But God is not this way. Maybe as I read that, you, you, you recognize the passage that that Bible teacher had in mind. You remember with Moses, he says to Yahweh in Exodus 34, show me your glory. Exodus 34 verse 6 says, Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is, like Psalm 86.5 says, he is good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon him. And so the psalmist is helping us to consider God's loving kindness, his unfailing love, his covenant-keeping love. The psalmist helps us to see that it's his nature to show mercy. The psalmist helps us to enjoy it and to give thanks for it. Now, this is the first psalm in book five of the Psalter, what we call the Psalms. Okay, there are five books that make up our Psalter. The first book, or I'm sorry, this book, book five, celebrates God's blessing of bringing the nation of Israel out of exile. And you've been thinking about exile, the people of Israel in exile, in your study of Daniel. So this celebrates God's blessing of bringing the nation out of exile. The theme of book three, we could call devastation, uh, Psalms 73 through 89. Read that section of Psalms and you'll find a whole lot of devastation because it's for that time in Israel's history when they were taken by the Lord into exile and they were devastated. The theme of book four which is Psalms 90 through 106, we could call maturation. God, we, we see there, God is maturing his people in exile. The, the Israelite captives in Babylon. He is giving them a mature perspective. The temple has been destroyed. Most of them have been taken from their land, taken to another faraway land. The last Psalm of Book 4 is Psalm 106. And the last verse of Psalm 106 says, Psalm 106 verse 47 says, Save us, O Yahweh our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Now that's a mature perspective. We can't save ourselves. Yahweh, our life is in your hands. We need you to act. We need you to, to save us, to fulfill your promises. You made promises to us as a nation. Please fulfill your promises. And here's why we want this. It's not about us. Do it for your name and for your glory. In that psalm, they were acknowledging all their sin is the reason why God was disciplining them. They humbly sought God's forgiveness and God's help and God's glory. And God answered that prayer. And that's what Psalm 107, our psalm, was all about. Now, the first three verses are a prologue or a, a kind of preface to the psalm. So look at verse 1. It says, Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
This verse gives us a, a kind of refrain, and we see it repeated uh, throughout the psalm. The next verse, verse 2, gives us the occasion. Verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. He's saying, let those who were in bondage, but who are now released from bondage, because the price of redemption has been paid for them, let them make some noise about God's loving kindness, about his unfailing love. Christian, you have been set free from bondage. You have been set free from bondage to to God's law. You are a debtor to his law, owing him eternal judgment for sinning against his infinite eternal glory. You were in bondage to your sin, a slave to your sin. But now you are free, free from God's law, from judgment, from his judgment, free from slavery to sin. And that's because someone has paid the price for your soul. Someone has paid the price for your redemption. Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so. Oh, give thanks. Talk about, talk about his unfailing love and his mercy to you. Make some noise about it. You are redeemed. You didn't free yourself, but now you are free. So sing and give thanks. Preach it. He has loved you. He has shown you mercy. In verse 3, we have the specific context. So verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So the nation of Assyria came in 722 B.C., and, and wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel. And then in 586 B.C., the Babylonians overtook Jerusalem and the southern kingdom. And so the, the people of Israel found themselves scattered by the Babylonians in all different parts of the empire. But now Yahweh has regathered them. And they should consider the steadfast love of Yahweh. They should study it, that they might be wise. They should study it, that they might give thanks. And so let's look at these two aids in considering the steadfast love and mercy of Yahweh that you might be wise and give thanks to him. Number one, consider Yahweh's merciful rescue of all kinds of helpless sinners. Consider Yahweh's merciful rescue of all kinds of helpless sinners. In this section, verses 4 through 32, there's four stanzas, each putting the spotlight on a different category of people, a different kind of helpless sinner. So first, number one, First category of helpless sinners, he saves wanderers who have strayed from him. In verses 4 through 9, he saves wanderers who have strayed from him. Some of these exiles, some of these ones who had been taken out of their homeland, out of Jerusalem, they had become wanderers. He saves wanderers who have strayed from him. Look at verse 4. He says, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. So they're in trouble because they can't find a city to live in. Now that's important. They're looking for a place with walls around it uh, to give some kind of protection from, from animals, from, from other people who would seek to, to harm them or, or rob them. When you're out on your own at that time, you're in trouble. Now they're also, verse 5 says, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Not only were they hungry and thirsty, but they were discouraged. 
That's what it means for their souls to be fainting within them. What do they do? Look at verse 6. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So we'll see this same verse, really, repeated over and over again in the psalm. This is the turning point for them. They turned to Yahweh, and what happened? He delivered them. He rescued them from their distress. Verse 7 says, He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. They needed a city, so he gave them a city. Let them, verse 8, let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. They were also hungry and thirsty, you remember. And God provided what they needed, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Now, did you notice something in verse 9? When he spoke of hungering in verse 9, he spoke of it in a different way than he had in verse 5. He wants us to know that Yahweh did fill their tummies, but he did a lot more than that. Because their problem was something greater than just being physically hungry. The psalmist wants us to see that their wandering and their hungering are also spiritual. They had wandered from God. And their souls were in want. Their souls were fainting within them. They were discouraged. When we wander from God, our souls faint within us. We lose our vitality. We lose our joy. Like that prodigal son who said, I want my share of the inheritance. And he took off. And he finds himself troubled and And discouraged, being far from home, unable to provide for himself, and he longs for home. The turning point comes, Psalm 107, in verse 6. They cried to Yahweh, and he delivered them. Why did he do that? Because of his character. It's the way that he is. Verse 8 says it's his steadfast love. That's why he delivered them. What is God's steadfast love? Well, here it is his readiness to meet the needs of his people, his willingness, his eagerness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his loving kindness. He's not a father who looks at his wandering children and says, well, fooey on them. I mean, they're, they're wandering away. What do they expect? No. He says, like Jesus said, how often I have longed to gather them like chicks. You remember that song? I used to sing it growing up in church, softly and tenderly. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies? Mercies for you and for me. Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. When we wander from God, sometimes it's only then that we really appreciate how wonderful it is to have God as our home. And when we come to him, we find that he is kind and loving. He restores us and he refreshes us. He, as the psalmist says, satisfies the longing soul. Have you been wandering from the Lord? Is your soul fainting within you? Don't keep wandering. 
don't keep wondering. Consider his mercy. Consider his character, his steadfast love. He is willing and he is eager to give your soul satisfaction. You need only cry out to him. So cry out to him. He will deliver you. Take your dissatisfied soul to him. Jesus said in John 6.35, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He feeds them, and it satisfies them. Well, let's look at the next stanza, which tells of another kind of helpless sinner. Number two, he saves prisoners in darkness and misery. He saves prisoners in darkness and misery. Verses 10 through 16. Look at verse 10 with me. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction. Right? They were in affliction. They were in pain and misery. And, he says, and in irons. They were stuck. And why are they in trouble? Verse 11. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. They spurned his counsel. They treated with contempt the counsel of the Most High. When, when you rebel against the Word of God, setting aside his commands and his instructions, it's personal. It's personal. You're rebelling against the Word of God. You're spurning the counsel of the Most High. So, they were in bondage because they spurned his counsel. Now this looks back to Psalm 1. Psalms 1 and 2 give us a kind of introduction to the whole Psalter. Uh, I had a, a professor in seminary who said, who said that the first two Psalms were the front porch to the Psalms. You have to enter the Psalms through those two in particular. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. But here, these sinners are doing the opposite of that. The blessed man meditates day and night. He hungers for, he loves God's law. But these sinners are doing the opposite. They are spurning God's law. Why? Why would they do that? Why do we do that? It's because of our pride. God says, don't do that. It'll make you miserable. And we say, no, it won't. It'll make me happy. I need it. I want it. I deserve it. That's what we do when we sin. We disbelieve God. We think we know better than he does. And we naturally think, that if we could just throw off God's restraints, then we would enjoy real freedom. God says, you shall not lie. Don't exaggerate the truth. He says, love your neighbor. Don't seek revenge. Don't gossip. Obey your parents. Obey the government. And we think, God is the one who, with his words and counsel, is trying to imprison us. 
So I can set aside his commands and I'll be just fine. I'll be free. I'll, be, I'll have real joy. We think we know better than the Bible. We think we'll have true freedom, but the opposite is true. They spurn the counsel of the Most High. Look at verse 12. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. So he is able to humble those who walk in pride. He resists the proud. And when you go your own way, you are now resisting the Lord. And he resists the proud. Look at verse 13. It says, Then he cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. What was that deliverance like? Verse 14, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Now maybe that little phrase sounds familiar. Burst their bonds apart. Remember that from another psalm? This is not a very common expression. And it's in Psalm 2. The people of the earth there in Psalm 2, the people of the earth are in opposition to Yahweh and his anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of the earth are saying, let us burst their bonds apart. They want to throw off Yahweh's restraints. They want to ignore his law. They think they know better. So this is, this is quite ironic. He takes those, Yahweh takes those who have resisted his will and his commands, but then they repent and, and cry out to him for help. And, and so he bursts their bonds apart. Proverbs 5, verse 22 says, The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. God is saying, you think my laws are binding and restrictive, but actually your sin will ensnare you and imprison you. Sin offers joy and freedom, but then it makes us its prisoner. And we could see this in our culture, in our society, as people are entangled in all kinds of sin, like, like sexual sin. They're entangled because it, because it offers pleasure. It seems to offer them freedom. But then they find themselves enslaved. And that's what our sin does to us. We, we start out thinking we're in control, but then we find out that our sin actually controls us. Think about anger and bitterness. It feels freeing to express our anger, to take revenge. But then we find out that our anger and our bitterness are actually destroying us. Our anger is eating away at us from the inside. Well, these people had rebelled against Yahweh because they didn't believe the goodness of Yahweh and the goodness of his, his counsel, his word. And they found themselves stuck in their sin. And what happened? They cried to Yahweh. And he delivered them. Look at verse 15. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze. Uh, doors, uh, some translations have gates. Uh, we're talking about things that are usually made of, of wood. And so the point is he shatters the, the strongest door that you can come up with that you can think of. He shatters it. And, and he says, he goes on to say, he cuts into the bars of iron. There is no restraint that can keep God from accomplishing his purpose in your life. And why did he deliver them? 
He was filled with compassion, mercy. They spurned his counsel. They get stuck. They cry out to the Lord. He delivers them. That's his mercy. Charles Spurgeon said, No other attribute could have helped us had mercy refused. As we are by nature, justice condemns us. Holiness frowns upon us. Power crushes us. Truth confirms the threatening of the law. And wrath fulfills it. It is from mercy that all of our hopes begin. God is a God of mercy. He delights in extending compassion. I'm not inclined that way, naturally. I would be more inclined to say, look, you made your bed, now you lie in it. You knew the deal. You had the warnings. You knew the judgment that would come. And you ignored all those warnings. You went to your idols, so now go back to your stupid idols and let them save you. That's my nature. But that's not the way God is. He is merciful. And he delights in showing mercy. He delights in showing, he delights in showing you mercy. And let's remember how he can give mercy to you. In that comment from Charles Spurgeon that I read, he talked about how God is holy and God is just. So even if God wants to show mercy, how can he without compromising his holiness and justice? I mean, showing mercy to people who have spurned his counsel would seem to be belittling his glory. Look, you've been belittling my glory Acting like my word is irrelevant? Well, okay. No big deal. Right? It would seem as though if he showed mercy, we would, he would be joining us in the belittling of his glory. All of that shows us the significance of the cross. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, speaking of Jesus' death on the cross in Romans 3, 25, he says it was, or this was to show God's righteousness. The cross was to demonstrate his righteousness, to, to prove God's righteousness, to display it. He goes on to say, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Right? He says centuries and centuries of people had been forgiven. They'd been shown mercy. And Paul's saying, you, you want to know how he can forgive and show mercy and still be just and still be righteous? He says, well, it's because of the cross. The cross proves he is righteous and he is holy. He goes on to say it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What happened at the cross? He says God put forward his own son as a propitiation by his blood. He, God the Father, put his son forward to propitiate God's wrath, to satisfy God's wrath by bearing God's wrath. At the cross, the sin of the world, all who would ever rely on Christ for salvation, the sin of the world was counted to Christ, and Christ bore the wrath and the judgment of God for our sin. 
And so when God shows mercy to helpless sinners who rely on Jesus, God doesn't compromise his holiness and justice. And it's because our sin is punished at the cross. In fact, his forgiveness on account of Christ displays his beautiful holiness. It magnifies his perfect justice and righteousness. And so we must remember the mercy that we receive from him is costly. It's expensive. The mercy that these exiles received was costly. They received mercy on the same basis that we do, on the basis of Jesus' death on the cross. So don't doubt the mercy of God. Marvel at his loving kindness. Like verse 12 says, we had none to help. We had none, no one to help us. That's us in our sin. No one to help us. Oh, the mercy of God to save prisoners in darkness and misery. No one said this better than Charles Wesley when he said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh for his mercy, for his unfailing love. When, when we are unwilling to give thanks, church, when we are not thankful people, certainly it's because we have lost sight of the mercy of God and the cost of his mercy. God could have left you in your sin to perish in your sin. He would have been, he would have been just to do that. He didn't owe you anything. You had rejected him. You had ignored his word. You had spurned his counsel. He has shown you mercy. So rejoice and give thanks. This is God's steadfast love to the imprisoned soul. And now we come to the third stanza, the third category of of helpless sinner. Number three, he saves fools who are suffering because of their sin. He saves fools who are suffering because of their sin, verses 17 through 22. Verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. Their foolishness was because of their sinful ways and because of their iniquities. Right? Foolishness is not a matter of the intellect. Many brilliant, intelligent people are fools. But our sin makes us stupid. It makes us foolish and it makes us dissatisfied look at verse 18 they loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death foolishly we think we can we can go our own way live apart from god and still be satisfied all that makes me think of ecclesiastes where solomon says the power to enjoy and be satisfied comes from god ecclesiastes 2 verse 24 says eating and drinking and finding enjoyment in his toil this also i saw is from the hand of god for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given, him, given wisdom and knowledge and joy. If you enjoy food, it's because God enables you to enjoy your food. But he only allows that to go so far, doesn't he? 
At times, he shows us mercy in that he makes us loathe the things that we are convinced will really satisfy us. He does that, right? He does that. He does that to bring us back to him. God is so good to send his people hard times, even misery, to make life taste bitter in order that we might see our need of him. And sometimes that's the right thing to pray for another person. When we know that this person is running away from the Lord, we pray, Lord, make him absolutely miserable. Make, make even his food to taste bad. And we pray that so that, that one will see the foolishness of trying to live apart from God. And so we pray, Lord, in your love, bring him back to you. Look at verse 19. It says, Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Why? Verse 21, Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. God's mercy in response to our sin and our foolishness is absolutely amazing. Think of Jonah. What a fool he was when he tried to run from God. Did he really think he was going to be successful in that? Running from the all-knowing, all-powerful God? God in his mercy ran after him and brought him to repentance. God was so patient, so gracious. Do you remember Manasseh, king of Judah? He was perhaps the most wicked king of all the kings over Judah. He led the people to rebel against the Lord. He even sacrificed his own children, burned his children in a fire and worshiped to a false god. Do you remember what God did with him? God had him captured and brought to Babylon. And this was, this was before the exile to Babylon. God had him captured and brought to Babylon. And then 2 Chronicles 33, beginning in verse 12, says about Manasseh, he says, and when he was in distress, right, just like just like all these people in Psalm 107, when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly because the God of his, before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him. And, and what do you think happened? Manasseh is wicked. He's so wicked. And what do you think God did when Manasseh humbled himself before God and cried out to him. I'll tell you, when I read this, I almost don't like, in my, it's just my nature, I, I almost don't like that God responded this way. But you know how God responded, don't you? Because it is his nature to show mercy. text says God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that Yahweh was God. I cannot tell you how excited I am that that passage is there. That this happened to Manasseh. This wicked man humbled himself and cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him mercy. Yahweh abounds in mercy. He abounds 
in unfailing love. It never runs dry. Never. His mercy is bigger than all of our sin. He's so merciful. This is good news. This is what we need because we are so foolish. So foolish. We are sinful, aren't we? And God is so merciful. You today may be foolishly running from God. And you are suffering affliction. Do you know what will happen if you cry out to the Lord humbly? No matter how long you have been running from him, no matter how far you have run from him, do you know what will happen if you cry out to him? He will hear you. He will be moved by your entreaty. And he will deliver you. He'll do that for your good. He will do that for his glory. Because he is awesome. We know what it's like to be hurt by someone. They gossip about us, perhaps, and it really hurts. Or they make assumptions about the way that we think, and then they don't even give us the chance to explain, and it hurts. And if they keep doing that to us again and again, we naturally want to push away from them, push back from them, and push them away from us, and we harden our hearts to them. Because we don't want to be hurt anymore. And if they come asking for forgiveness, sometimes we're even annoyed that they would do that. Because we, by nature, are not merciful people. We want to push them away and protect ourselves from more sadness. But God is not like that. He is not like that toward you, even though you have sinned against him. And then sinned against him again and again and again and again. And if you have turned your back on him and you have resisted him and he keeps pointing it out to you and you still resist, maybe that's where you are right now. Even so, you know what will happen if you come to him, if you cry out to him. In humility and brokenness, he will deliver you. That's the way that he is. That's the way his love is. His love is so great. There's no other love like it. Other people might not ever forgive you if you treated them that way, but God is different. It's his nature to show mercy. His mercy never runs out. His mercy is bigger than all of your sin. Church, that's why we are here today. Because he's gracious and merciful. Rejoice, church. Rejoice. Give thanks for his love. Offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Verse 22 says, offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Don't just say you're thankful, show you're thankful. What does that look like? You aren't going to kill an animal, right? What would a sacrifice of thanksgiving look like? Give something to him. And say thank you. Thank you for your mercy to me. Maybe write an extra check to the, to the church. Give to the church. Say, thank you. Thank you for your love for me. Maybe you find someone in need and you, you sacrifice. 
to bless a brother or sister. You say, thank you, God. I don't know how you would do that. Put some time into this church. You consider how, what you can sacrifice, how you can sacrifice to show your thanksgiving to the Lord. Well, there's a fourth category of helpless sinner. Number four, he saves storm-tossed souls who are helpless in danger. He saves storm-tossed souls who are helpless in danger. My goodness, I'm going overtime. All right, I'm going to have to hustle. Verse 23, some went down to the sea in ships. Uh, different reasons, I think. Maybe some lost their job. They've got to make a living somehow, so they, they hop on a ship. Others, though, are down at the bottom of the ship rowing like slaves. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of Yahweh as wondrous works in the deep. Right? They saw things that Yahweh did that made them marvel and, and wonder. Verse 25, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind. Right? The seas belong to him. He tells them what to do. He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. Right? They made a huge mountain. Then went down to the depths. And then there was a great valley that Yahweh created on the sea. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. You can picture that, can't you? These men trying to steady themselves as the ship is, is rocked back and forth, side to side, and, and they're at their wit's end. The text says, they didn't know what to do. Literally, he says, their wisdom was swallowed up or engulfed. Yahweh makes the sea to drown out their wisdom. Verse 28, then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. God sent out those waves and those rough waters, and he does that to us, doesn't he? So that we will feel utterly helpless at our wit's end. Can't make a way out for ourselves. He brings us to that point where we cry out to him. So there's four kinds of trouble. No matter what trouble you are in, cry out to Yahweh, because you know his character, his love. Well, that's the first aid in considering the steadfast love and mercy of Yahweh. Consider Yahweh's merciful rescue of all kinds of helpless sinners. And then the second one, consider Yahweh, the God of great reversals. The God of great reversals, 30, verses 33 to 42. There's four reversals listed here. Number one, he turns the blessed land into a cursed land. He turns a blessed land into a cursed land, verse 33. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground and a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Then number two, he turns a cursed land into a blessed land. A cursed land into a blessed land. Verse 35, he turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. No matter how far you have gone, Yahweh is able to bring you back. He can reverse it. His mercy is great and it's powerful. And so there's no such thing as a lost cause. Third, he brings the proud down low. He brings the proud down low. Verse 39, when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil and sorrow, 
He pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. Verse, or number four, he raises the lowly up high. He raises the lowly up high. Verse 41, but he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their fam- families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Then the conclusion of verse 43, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of Yahweh. And it's literally plural. Let them consider the steadfast loves of Yahweh. Wise people think on God's loving kindnesses, his mercies. They're new every morning, aren't they? So many examples, an infinite number of examples. Wise people count those loving kindnesses. They learn great things. And it enables them to live skillfully. It makes them wise. That's what wisdom is. It's having the right goal and choosing the best means to reach that goal. They live for the glory of God because they're enamored with his love. They're humbled before him and they see his greatness. And so even intuitively then, their goal becomes to live for his pleasure, to live to please him. And so it makes them wise. And they choose the best means to reach that goal, living skillfully. They learn to love his commandments and to heed his warnings. His warnings aren't oppressive to them because they know that he loves them. They love his commands because they know they're gifts, loving gifts from him. They're motivated to battle sin because they don't want to sin against his love. They're willing to accept a no answer from the Lord. They accept hard things because they know that he's inclined to show mercy to them. He's merciful. And they're inclined to live sacrificially for him and to gladly serve him because of his steadfast love and his mercy. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your steadfast love for your never-ending mercy. Thank you for helping us, poor, helpless sinners. May we be wise today and consider your love and live for your pleasure. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.